0: for tuning in to the escapheal files a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about animorphs the children's book series by ka applegate i'm danielle i use she or they pronouns and you can find me on the internet at Tailed talk 90 and
1: my co-host is jade hello i'm jade you can find me on twitter and tumblr at j.ford and i use they them pronouns
0: We'll be making our way through the books one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Uh,
2: today we're talking about book 25, uh, The Extreme, uh, which is a Marco book. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: I am pleased to say that I definitely underestimated this book.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit.
1: Um, yeah same Uh, apart from like a couple of elements and they're pretty minor in the grand scope of things one of which mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about plenty and i don't know whether it's just coming off the back of book 24 um (laughs) i think i don't think it's just that um i mean it's real easy to do better than book 24 but i found this to be a super strong engaging story. Like this is probably like right up there for me mm-hmm. as one of my probably one of my favorites. Like I really enjoyed
3: it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um it it doesn't have like the plot the or technically the main plot
0: um doesn't necessarily have a lot going on, but it does have a lot of really good character shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um and like the main conflict I guess, outside of the main plot, I, I personally really, really like.
1: It's interesting because this book, the main danger that the kids are facing isn't the Yurks and it isn't some stupid-ass tiny aliens either. It's literally just the perils of our own planet. Yes, And it's just the reality of dealing with a situation that you are not equipped for yes and unlike when they went back in time and to other alien planets that i've also had like hostile environments mm-hmm. i think part of what makes this book so effective is it's within the scope of empathy that i think we as readers mm-hmm. can vibe with mm-hmm. um it's gonna get cold is basically what it, and it just like It's described in such a visceral fashion, the effects Mm -hmm. that cold can have on the body. Yeah. It's a lot. Like, reading this, I was like, dang, this is dark for kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people that are maybe from, like, significantly colder parts of the world, like, people maybe, like, who are used to the environment, like, places like, like Alaska, and when you get up to, like, the indigenous folks who live around that part of the world like upper parts of Europe and Russia. They they know cold.
3: Like mm-hmm. you get
1: up to the Arctic Circle, like you get above that whichever line it is. I think it's latitude.
2: Um yeah, no it's latitude.
1: It they know. Um mm-hmm. but you only have to like look at the shit that went down in Texas. Mm-hmm. God, was it this year?
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, okay.
1: Last yeah, year. Yeah. Uh mm. I don't remember. Either way, recent enough you just see when there isn't the infrastructure in place people dealing with extreme temperatures yeah. that they're not used to.
3: Mhm.
1: So yeah, uh it's this is one of my
0: by far my favorite tropes in most fiction is where you have like the, the characters who traditionally are dealing with very dangerous enemies and then they're put into an environment that they then have to fight instead of the enemies, and the environment is in a lot of ways deadlier. Um
1: I I I'm weak for I'm lo- it. <laughs> I'm looking at you in Firebird Suite right now, going, uh-huh. Yeah? You you didn't have to call me out. <laughs> it's actually in the bylaws of this podcast but I am expected to call you out. It, fair. But yeah, it's. There's a reason why it's such a. a, There's there's a reason why it's a trope. Mm -hmm. Because it's seeing characters we're used to dealing with things that they aren't used to. Mm -hmm. And it forces them to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And you sort of see their strengths. And for all that, what the kids go through in this book is. A shit time for everyone. It's, we don't see them failing at it. It's just yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. This is actually showing like the team working incredibly effectively. Yeah. It's just when you are dealing with sub zero, I've seen like sub zero temperatures mm-hmm. or getting right down their temperatures. All there is to do is survive. You
2: can't fight that.
3: Mm-hmm. You just
2: endure it. Yeah yeah so uh are we're, t- we're talking a lot about snow.
1: It's a big chunk of the book. It is it, yeah. um we should probably talk about like how we get there. We can talk more about <laughs> snow later. um but yes, yeah, so some book specific content warnings um include freezing to death mm-hmm. as you may have gathered, uh extinction and genocide. And native stereotypes, which is frustrating because they didn't need to go there. Even though I will get the, the character in question, I stand Derek. Yeah. so hard. I He's love so Derek. good. <laughs> He's a great character, and I'm like, why did you just weigh down some of this with this weird?
3: because mm-hmm.
1: it feels like so much and we'll get to this more in a so much of his portrayal does feel very true to life
3: mm-hmm. like the way
1: he talks about certain things and that feels like very like well researched as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or at least a passable amount of research yeah not to give over much credit where credit's due as always you can tell where the research was done in this case it's some good animal biology in this one Mm-hmm. um had a good time Hmm. Uh, yeah but there's also some visceral descriptions of the of uh damage cold does to the body yeah marco once again getting like the really unfun yeah <laughs> injuries like let me be clear rachel gets a doozy too in this uh-huh. one and everybody like suffers but like i'm reading this gang. Is this K.A. punishing him? Like, what did he do? Or is this just, like, trying to make a point about how this is Marco's, not cross to bear, but that's the hurdle Mm -hmm. for him because he's such a, like, a cerebral person. Mm -hmm. And he's defined so much by his fear. Mm -hmm. Like, even if he's gotten to a point where he has, like, a handle on it, the fact yeah. that we get so much visceral descriptions of injuries, it doesn't, if his injuries are worse than the others, or if it's just the way he talks about them is.
3: Mm. and this Maybe is a, a little of both. More,
1: like, yeah. But also, like, it's one of those things because we see at the end of the day, Marco will throw himself into situations, or maybe it's sort of like the way he approaches certain things because of who mm-hmm. he is as a person lends itself to injury Mm -hmm. my brain's just like the equivalent of like a rodeo clown they're there to draw heat yeah and that sort of peter parker-esque crack jokes Mm -hmm. draw focus i know this this thought is sort of meandering but i'm just yeah
0: no no I, ah. i i got you it's when i was writing idiot teenagers um one of the first things I did is I gave the strategist playbook a protection move. Mm. Because it's consistently one of the
2: things that Marco does is mm-hmm. put him, his body between his friends in danger, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, from a,
0: from a, like a writing perspective I think it makes sense because you're 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 almost trying to not justify but you're you're showing that he is justified in his reticence
1: to do things yeah um because he does get hurt when he does the thing
0: exactly but it makes the
1: fact that he continually chooses to do the thing Mm mm-hmm it also just hit me. Would you like an upsetting thought slash yes. reflection? He views himself as the most disposable.
2: Hmm. I don't think he does. Maybe not
1: consciously, but like Jake can make decisions. Doesn't yeah. need, necessarily need. Cassie will come up with fucking buck wild shit to do. Then mm-hmm. He knows that group needs Cassie. Rachel is the fighter. Axe is the smart one in his mind. He's so self-deprecating when he's not bigging himself up in a way that feels like he's doing it for the lols. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me. It's just like, well, if I'm knocked out of commission in this fight, I'm not the best fighter. I'm not the best morpher. Yeah. This is fine. Yeah, I think in a fight uh, that definitely tracks. Yeah, not necessarily in like, if I wasn't a part of the group, it would be bad, but like in terms of immediately more expendable.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So, yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah.
1: going to have a lot of feelings about Marco today, dear listeners.
3: Mhm.
1: So, you know, it's any day. It's a it's <laughs> just a Marco day. <laughs> I have feelings Douglas... about uh Cassie mm-hmm. and Rachel a lot in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's some real good Cassie content here. There is. Yeah. Because one of the like, I think we talked about it in the last Cassie book, and we definitely mentioned it in book twenty-four. Mm-hmm. Marco and Cassie as like these. You might think of them as diametrically opposed mm-hmm. Oh, Oh god, In <laughs> my am just living in my head <laughs> <rent> free. <laughs> but it's I think of it more like complementary colours. They're like the opposite parts on the yes. colour wheel. Uh-huh. And they're more effective for being in contrast with each other. Yeah. And, and Jake why is why the third can... that makes
0: the triad
2: in more uh-huh. one.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about OT3s before we started recording. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we, Color puns.
1: We <laughs> 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 well, I, but quickly, I, you know that dumb kids chatter is common on this, like, Reading this it just makes me reinforce just how much without reading these books Richard and Brian have managed to capture the essence of Marco Yeah, between them. Yeah. It's disturbingly on point. It really is. Like they each have like an aspect of the way Marco deals with it. Which is just part of why look, Dante Benny is an excellent ship for a number of reasons. <laughs> okay. I say that as the person whose character is dating one of those two. I'm, in my dreams, maybe both. But that's a different topic for another day. But it's why they work so well in the group. Because to to to, to loop back, because I can be on topic, much like Marco and Cassie, they can complement each other. It's just Dante and Betty don't have much of a tempering influence if left to their own devices, Mm-hmm. They don't have enough of the cowardice part. I don't. I don't think. <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: well, I think I think Dante does, except yeah. that his
2: his drive to do it anyway is stronger. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah. clears throat> right. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, we'll write our thesis statement up about the parallels between dumb kids playing <laughs> hero. <laughs> <laughs> the unintentional parallels between Dumb Kids Playing Hero, Seasons X through Eggs, and the Animals book series that inspired the podcast by K.A. Applegate. Another time. For now, yeah let's get to the plot because it yep. starts with such a peak cute experience. It's so good. <laughs> it's really Marco, Marco has gotten asked out by a girl. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, for all his big talk, he is currently losing his shit. Because <laughs> he doesn't quite know how to process that this is happening. Because he didn't even ask this girl out. hmm She asked him. Yeah. And it's adorable.
2: It's really cute.
0: Uh this girl's name is Marion. And uh she and he share uh either uh, a music class. Oh uh, yeah, a music appreciation class. <laughs> um
1: that doesn't feel like a real thing.
0: I I can see it being like a uh an elective. Like that sounds like mm-hmm. an elective. Um <clears throat> and so Marion coming out of it is like, "Oh, Marco, you really know classical music." Um and uh Marco's sh- Marco in his head is just like, "Uh, no, but my dad does have a whole lot of classical cds and plays them all the time uh and watches documentaries about mozart and
1: beethoven so it sounds like i i know what i'm talking about i um, love like that he describes them and other wild-eyed guys which makes me think that the uh, marco's dad is just a big fan of amadeus <laughs> <laughs> which is a classic and should absolutely be watched and appreciated <laughs> it's a very good movie
3: uh, um
1: but yeah, under the impression that Mario is uh, Mario, Marco yeah. is. I'm just combining. It's their ship name. Anyway, asks if he wants to go to the symphony hall with her because uh, she has tickets. Um, they're playing her favourite symphony, and um, asks if he wants to go with her. Mm-hmm. And marco <laughs> bless this is where we talked about him being a dork and him like fumbling the ball
2: mm-hmm.
3: as it were
1: it's also stressed that marion is in incre- court like he describes her as like the most beautiful girl in school Mm-hmm. which granted he has done for a number of girls but <laughs> you know yeah uh but yeah, so she she asked him on
0: this on this thing, he tries a joke, it falls super flat. Um, or he
1: doesn't it He doesn't he's not trying to joke. He's not trying to joke,
2: uh, but it I mean it is a joke, but it's not a joke in the way that he means it. Sure. I guess. <laughs> Cause he
0: means yeah, it in the like, like, oh well I'm more a fan of this other thing instead of mm-hmm. the one that you asked me to
1: yeah, she cites Beethoven's third as her favourite, and that's the one that's playing. And uh he was and his response is I'm more of a fan of his 33rd. Right. And she's just looking at him like, I don't get it. We're making a joke. <laughs> um And then he's desperately trying to think of things to say about mm-hmm. Beethoven's third. It's just like, bless this child. Yep. Um Marianne pulls his ass out of the fire by suggesting he's looking for the word beautiful and then he's like, he gets onto a bit of a roll mm-hmm. and uh, his uh, effusiveness delights Marianne uh, and she gives him her number um, mm-hmm. and she's like genuinely smiling and
2: um, happy about this yeah. and this is just a really sweet wholesome scene
3: mm-hmm.
2: And it's such a
1: fake out um, because this feels like this is maybe setting up to be the conflict of the book.
3: Mm.
2: Um,
1: But this is actually sort of a a bit of a, a red herring plot wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll reveal that in a second. Marco gets to luxury in this moment for a little bit,
3: mm-hmm.
1: having a normal teenage experience and it sort of quickly sort of fades away as he as we get our usual uh description about the yurks what the situation is
2: why he's not normal mm-hmm. um and that he's a part of this war and
1: on revealing everything about the con- uh about the yurks he has the thought about what if marianne is a controller right and, um, he resolves himself to have one date, <laughs> and then before we decide to go steady, I can check her out. yeah
2: but yeah, Probably. it's but,
1: I mean it's a very public date,
2: so mm-hmm. you know yeah it it is i I
0: really like this, even though it isn't relevant to the rest of the story at all, because it does show that kind of typical conflict between the the normal normal teenager life and the double life that they're leading. Um, mm-hmm. that even even something as just quote unquote pure as this is tainted by it. hmm Uh where, you know, he can only experience that joy for a little while
2: before his strategist brain kicks in and starts to think about,
3: mm-hmm. uh, well, what if? Yeah. Um
2: but we have a chapter and then- break mm-hmm. <laughs> and we cut to
1: cassie uh asking about what happened next mm-hmm. um and they're in study hall that has been relocated to the gym um because of something about asbestos and lawsuits mm-hmm. chuckle. um so people are making use of the fact that they're in the gym playing like basketball and stuff whereas uh everyone else is like sitting on the bleachers hanging out um mm-hmm. And Marco and Cassie are having this conversation. And this is really sweet. This, mm-hmm. like, the whole dynamic here, yeah. where Cassie is, like, genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. And it's not,
2: like, it's not just, like, her humoring him.
3: hmm.
2: It's, like, and bless <laughs> Marco fell asleep at the symphony.
1: Which is impressive, because those things are loud, but also I appreciate these kids are very hectic lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just went on for so long that he fell asleep, and when he woke up, everybody had left the hall.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And Cassie laughs, but it's expressly described, as Marco observes, as a a gentle laugh.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, it's not mockery. It's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, well... (laughs) shucks there's no like meanness in it yeah uh i guess like yeah it's probably for the best and he's like what do you mean it's for the best it was a disaster um and he just but yes but it doesn't sound like marianne's your type and to be fair this had been established in the first chapter with the fact that their (laughs) tastes in music were so radically different Uh
2: uh-huh
1: um but marco's only concern is that she's beautiful so how could she not be his type And then it clicks for him. Wait a minute. Did you guys watch her? It's like, we are your friends, Marco. He said apologetically. We had no choice. You guys kept her under surveillance for the last three days. Well, it was mostly Tobias and Alex since they don't have school. Anyway, she's not one of them. And we just get that little bit more explanation like she didn't visit a Yerkpool reference, uh, Yerkpool entrance. Mm-hmm. What is with my brain today? Um and Marco's like, okay, cool. Well that's good news, but ne- or is it bad news? Because now I blown my chance. Is it better or worse that she's a normal mm-hmm. girl? Um And we get this like very savvy assessment of the situation with watching Marianne. Mm-hmm. That Jake had asked Cassie to tell Marco about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because Cassie's the diplomat. Because if Jake was talking to him, it'd come across as meddling. And from Rachel, it would be ridicule. Even if it wouldn't be meant to necessarily her, it would
2: still be ridicule because that's how those two communicate. Yes. So. And, um...
1: Cassie is like just waiting for him to react because Anna's expecting something, which she mm-hmm. describes as he was loading up a to deliver something scathing yet not overly critical. Um when uh Eric shows up. Our favorite, uh passing as a high schooler G, with <laughs> bad news. Perhaps he... unsurprisingly. <laughs> Eric only has bad news. <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, eric extends his little uh hologram bubble so he can um fill the kids in though uh before he does so we find out that he was also aware that marianne is not a controller because the chi also helped out with
3: mm-hmm. the watching
1: of her and he's just like and marco's just like uh <laughs> We also have lots of repeating frames of uh-oh, because Marco immediately gets, okay, Eric's here, so this is probably going to be bad news.
0: Yep, and it just keeps getting worse. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but Eric is here with the plot. Uh, <laughs> That's why it's bad news. plot in Animorphs <laughs> is never fun.
0: Yep, uh, and uh, his spies on the inside have found that the Yerkes have been trying to develop a way to broadcast Candrona rays using human satellite technology. Sure. Uh, and you know,
1: well, I, I can live with this, because you yeah. know satellites yeah. broadcast and bounce signals all the time. Yeah. If Candrona rays are a form of, like, not radiation, but are literally a kind of wave, yeah. sure. I, mm-hmm. This is science that I can actually go, okay, yeah, I ex- I accept this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make me ragey. Even. It's just a little bit sci-fi silly, not yeah. break, break reality. Yeah. Silly.
0: Um, but they have found a place on the planet that is isolated enough that they can do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, and so they're erecting a satellite station um, so that they can build the Candrona there and then broadcast the Candrona rays everywhere. Um, and we get the... The the threat again that they could turn every backyard swimming pool into a york pool, which I don't think that's how that works. I think there's other nutrients in the york pool that they need, but like, okay,
1: the, those things are possibly easier just to mix in.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that's true.
1: I also kind of makes me laugh, just like if I hadn't already been greatly informed that this takes place in California, just like how many people in the world do you think <laughs> have a backyard swimming pool? <laughs> Like, some people sure have ponds, (laughs) which fair. I mean, what is a yerk pool if not really a pond? (laughs) It's a little ecosystem happening in
2: there. Mm -hmm. But, like,
1: not everyone has
2: pools.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But regardless, it is a terrifying prospect. Yes. Because Uh, although they haven't been able to take out the big yerk pool because of the scale of the operation, it's too well defended. Um, if people don't, it's going to be a lot harder to like figure out who are mm. controllers if they don't have to go back to a central location. This is bad right. news. Right. Uh, uh, oh, th- this is where we get the reveal that Eric knew about the date being blown.
3: Yes.
0: Um, <laughs> she wasn't your type not- <laughs> anyway. She had taste in music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then we get this fucking beautiful little nugget which made me so happy because I uh-huh. like, oh, so you're a big Beethoven fan and Eric's just like, I was the maestro's valet for quite a few years. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, like, he also described Beethoven as an awful person, mm-hmm. which is fun. But uh, made music my masters would have
2: wept to hear. So, yeah, yeah. nice little nugget. But just like I love when they nod to the
1: fact of just how long the Chi have been around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other thing we found out that he had been present for? The like, pyramids. One of the war- he built the pyramids. Yeah, and there was also like a part of American history. He was like very, like, helped out with as like a medic or mm-hmm. something, or maybe. I don't um, remember. That might have been in dimorphine. <laughs> <laughs> this is Danielle's
2: fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying it very much. <laughs> uh so the kids
0: meet at cassie's barn to talk about it
1: Um, meeting barn meeting meeting.
0: yep uh we get the standard kind of description of everybody uh i like this detail about rachel rachel's a great person to have on your side in a fight the only problem i have with her is that she's always looking for a fight
1: that is such a smart little detail
3: Uh uh-huh
0: um but eric is also there uh, and they're asking him for any details about the location of this facility. And he's like, nah, we don't know where the fuck it is. But we do know where Visser 3's new feeding place is. Uh, and we know that he's going to be going from there to the facility tomorrow. Um, and so they're like, all right, well, that definitely gives us an in. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. <clears throat> flag this nice little description about Jake, which is a Mm -hmm. fun perspective we've not had before. Uh, Marco describes him as their sort of leader, not because he asked to be. It's probably because he never asked to be. You know, he's one of those tiresome, dutiful, level-headed guys. If you met Jake, you'd understand why we turned to him. Call it charisma. Something about Jake commands respect. Not from me, of course. He's been my best friend forever. I was with him when he was nine and ate an entire pie on a bet and ended up blowing blueberries for an hour. And I just... (laughs) Love that detail. One, I suppose what it is is in the same way that Cassie has tasked herself with being Jake's tie.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Marco can't stop seeing Jake as his best friend, mhm and that's a good thing. I mm-hmm. think it's part of it. It's why he's not afraid to challenge, yeah, Jake, because he has known him so long.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: which I really like as a detail and I feel like it's very indicative of the, it may, it really just puts interactions the two of them have had into this or just shades them in I guess it's another yeah. detail to them
3: mm-hmm.
1: like we joke about the kick flipping into the sun all the time and we will continue <laughs> to do so but that genuine affection there following mm-hmm. that observation is just it's nice to know that marco hasn't lost the ability to see jake that way yet mhm i'm using yet deliberately <laughs> i say looking into a camera that's not switched on but you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh
1: but yeah the, um they end up not voting because like they said no we don't need to vote we're just in agreement mhm uh, we do get a good little bit of uh, axe enjoying sounds, mm-hmm. um, and uh this particularly stuck with me. Just like they're talking about options, and and axe is just like that appears to be our only option. Option should, which just made me think of Charlie the uniform because <laughs> <laughs> of who I am as a person. <laughs> because I was thinking about Shun the non-believer. <laughs> Now I'm just imagining Charlie the Unicorn clips over like Adelaide imagery and that's (laughs) a brain hole that I may uh, not escape
2: from. Hey, Izzy. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh,
2: Fuck. Uh,
1: But yeah, so so they decide they're going to do this. Yeah, Marco makes his usual, and it almost feels like he knows... He's just rattling through because he's expected He's not cracking jokes, saying, Oh, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to do it. I don't think my dad would like me hitchhiking, especially not with an evil alien parasite. And it's just in the same way we've seen other characters be aware of their role in things and step mm-hmm. up to it. Mako doesn't even say about doing it here. He's just doing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. but they realize that, um, it's probably gonna be a few days because mm-hmm. they don't know where this other base is. And if they're having to like transport the visa there with a bug fire, uh they're not sure they don't know. And so they come up with the plan that uh some of the chi are gonna impersonate the kids. hmm Uh just for the few days that they're away. Yeah. Uh Marco is unimpressed, he is worried that Eric's gonna read his comments in the bath it's just <laughs> amusing especially given that i imagine eric doesn't have much need for bathing no so but uh, uh good visual nonetheless i like that that's even that we find out what eric did while at marco's <laughs> at the end of the book it's just very good
0: yep uh they fly out to viscer three's new feeding place um Eric had given us directions and wished us luck. Good luck taking on the most dangerous creature in the galaxy. I gotta go oil my elbow joints. Let me know if you survive. We'll get together. Do lunch. Ciao. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so they're flying out. Everyone's having a good time flying. uh, But they find the clearing um, where Visser 3 is already there running around and eating. Um, And they Swoop down one by one. Uh like this we said is, earlier, this is they're working like a well oiled machine.
1: Yeah, Jake is calling in the book. play, and then they just do it like
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's perfect. Yep. It goes off without uh, a hitch so that they mm-hmm. all land and take their positions and are able to get to where they need to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh they morph fly. Um got some excellent morphing descriptions in here. Some good uh, growth shit. Yeah, <laughs> when he morphs fly, his his legs and arms disappear first, and he's just like a torso that falls to the ground. <laughs> yeah, like, oh like how he says, I said, I and I
1: crouched first.
0: <laughs> um,
1: yeah, uh, and that's the thing I think we've noticed before is how visceral the morphing descriptions are in Marco books.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, because he takes in all the details. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they so they all morph fly. And then they, um,
0: uh, fly in and grab onto, uh, Visser 3's belly hair.
1: Or they attempt um, to. They, they, they,
0: they all do except for Marco, who kind of mm-hmm. has to play chase. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but they do all manage to get there. Um, there's, uh, a, a, a detail in here that, um, apparently, uh, Visor three has fleas because he comments about like fucking earth parasites and i'm just over <laughs> here snickering because like they they got the flea powder for axe a few books mm-hmm. before <laughs> three doesn't know about flea powder <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: so he just has to deal with fleas
1: <laughs> can happen to a nicer dude mm-hmm uh, but they all get on board a bug fighter um,
0: and the problem is that the, whatever trip they're on is going to last three and a half uh, of your earth hours um, that's a I
1: running joke in this one just the overemphasis, because Marco calls Axe on it and just to prove how much Axe is getting on board with mm-hmm. uh, human humor mm-hmm. he emphasizes your every time Mm-hmm. he has to reveal the thing also at one point tobias even describes it as our earth minutes which uh-huh. makes marco want to i And i'm just like that is entirely tobias fucking with you Marco. <laughs> <laughs> he is buck- backing up the axe man yeah i fucking with you and rightly yep. so
0: yeah uh uh but the, so the trip's gonna take three and a half hours which is a problem because they're on a bug fighter with viscer three and they can't there's nowhere to demorph. Um luckily slash unluckily, the bug fighter docks with the blade ship. Um, and they're able to get out into the larger ship. They stick with Visser 3, um, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh and come up with this really brilliant plan, uh, where Axe impersonates viscer three and calls out to the guards outside and tells them to come inside uh into the room and does this several times and viscer three gets fucking pissed because he's fucking like why the fuck are you disturbing me
1: just like it escalates like the yeah. rage of viscer
2: three mm-hmm uh I like We cleverly
0: come up with two plans. Plan A involved Visser 3 leaving the room voluntarily while the rest of us stayed behind. But as time passed, the Visser made no move to leave. It looked more and more like we were going to have to implement the much riskier Plan B. Uh Fine by me. I was ready to do something or go insane. Inactivity makes for way too much time to think about things like death and destruction and pain and violence. Inactivity makes for fear. Um, Because they've just been sitting on mm-hmm. Visser 3's stomach for like at least an hour at this point doing nothing just like trying to not think too much about the fact that there are flies on Visser 3's stomach um mm-hmm. uh, but the plan goes out goes well um uh Ax calls in a guard and three 3's like what the fuck are you doing here get out and the Hork-Bajir leaves uh and then he does it again where Ax calls in another Hork-Bajir, this one Vista three just like fucking kills. He, he hits him with the tail blade and kills him. Um, and
1: just, isn't the Hork-Bajir like they think might still be alive? When he, they have to crawl. He's past not it?
0: missing a head. He might be alive,
1: but, but definitely gets like taken to the carpet, as it were. Yeah.
0: Uh And then Axe calls out one more time. Two Hork-Bajir come in this time because they're like, "I'm not going in there alone." Nuh-uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and this time viscer 3 is just like everyone get the fuck out of here and just like lunges for the for the hork and <laughs> chases them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody else stays in the room lands demorphs and remorphs as fast as possible. Um the the problem is that uh it's not quite fast enough a taxon gets into the room. Um, while Marco and Axe are still morphing, and it sees both of them. Uh, so Axe, who still has his tail, uh, chops the taxon in half. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Jake's like, alright, is it dead? And Axe is like, in a manner of speaking, one half of it is consuming the other half. You know, just a little bit of auto cannibalism.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, before we get too much further I do want to just highlight a couple of details Mm -hmm. Uh, when the kids were demorphing we get this cool updation of everyone looking gross as hell except Cassie Mm -hmm. who gets fully human with two gossamer wings on her back Yeah, and it's just sort of like god dang Cassie (laughs) um On the, that's on the positide. We also have this observation from Marco about, um, the inherent tragedy of the Hawk Mm-hmm. Uh, and while he talks about them in the way that the kids always do, um, but, uh, which is frustrating, mm-hmm. but describes them as innocent victims in a war that didn't seem to have any other kind. Yeah. And I appreciate that awareness there, mm-hmm. um, and it's also sort of pays allegiance to a moment that happens later uh, with him and Kathy as well.
0: Yeah, and I do like okay. that after Visser Three kills uh, the 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 second orc Bajir that comes in uh, before Jake orders Axe to do it one more time. He he hesitates a little bit because it's like, oh fuck, we're getting these people killed.
2: Um. Mm-hmm but they do it anyway because it's working um uh but yeah so they
0: they remorph into flies uh and get out of there because they know that the taxon is going to be discovered soon and what else could have killed you know attacked it
1: yeah, they, they've they been made
3: Mm-hmm.
1: because um although axe knows enough about like how the light system works to like lead to different places as flies, they're colorblind, so they've got mm-hmm. no real way of knowing which way they should be going. But meanwhile, on sight of seeing this bisected taxon, um, Visa 3 is immediately screaming about how the Andalites are here, that they're on his ship,
3: mm-hmm. and that he's
1: going to kill the fool who fails him.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Lots of screaming. This is some peak Visa 3 dramatic bitch yep uh energy
2: yep uh
1: um thankfully uh, axe is able to lead them to the storage bays mm -hmm. he makes a really good educated guess (laughs) proud of him like based on how it's going to be at the back of the ship Mm -hmm. so they head south because they know the ship is going north Mm -hmm. um but they get to the um the the storage base they're able to start demorphing um Rachel being like, I'm not dying as a fly. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to fight if they're going to find me. Um, everyone um, is, seems scared. And we get this upsetting observation from Marco. How um, about in Morph, you can't hear the fear. Uh, you can hear the fear, but you don't have to look
3: it
2: in the eyes.
3: Mm-hmm. Which is just deeply upsetting.
2: Yep. Uh, Before uh, reinforcements can
1: pile into the storage bay, uh, the kids discover um, this cylinder, um, like huge, like 10
2: feet, 12 feet tall, about Mm -hmm. as half as broad, with something inside it. Uh, They can't Uh, quite see what it is. Uh, it's... It's super cold. It's
0: super cold, whatever it is. It's filled with some kind of mist. I think we're supposed to believe it's liquid nitrogen. Um, that and, makes sense. Uh, and the... Actually, it's not... Well, it might be... No, it's yeah, it's gas, probably liquid it? nitrogen. Yeah. They're they're submerged mm. in it. And then when it breaks open, it's a mist, which makes sense.
1: Makes sense, because, yes, warm up. a Mm-hmm. I know how <laughs> chemistry works. Like... <laughs> It's been a really long time since I did any kind of science. <laughs> I know the states of matter. I just couldn't quite remember if that counted as physics or chemistry for a second. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I was just
0: thinking because I'm like, oh, but it's a mist, but I don't think it's a mist while it's in the tube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um The tubes are really fucking cold. Um, And they can see that there's something in there, something with like silvery skin and like red and blue, uh, uh, stripes on it um and uh earlier the the Visser had mentioned something about venber and at the time axe was like did he say venber nah couldn't have been um except that they keep like visser three keeps mentioning it and so axe is like this kind of No he did say no he did say venber yeah <laughs> uh and these Things in the tubes kind of look like the Venber that Visser Three mentioned, but they can't be because they're all extinct. Like the the species doesn't exist anymore. Um. Uh. But they don't really have a lot of time to think about that, uh, because Visser Three is searching the ship for them. Um. So they all go to Battlemorphs. Uh, the ship uh, is
1: descending as well.
0: Yes, the ship is landing. Um and uh Marco a, a, a second before uh or no, a second after um the doors around them open to reveal just way too many hork Uh Marco three realizes out of that four doors, three out of four yeah. doors. Uh Marco realizes that Viscer 3 is letting the ship
2: land because he he knows where they are. Um so, uh, there's hork surrounding
0: them, uh, way more than they can possibly take. Um, and, and especially in a, an enclosed space like this where they can't do- use any tactics, really. Um, Mr. Three is gloating, because of course he is. Because of course um, he is. And we get this really just depressing thing from Rachel. Give the word, Jake. Give the word, and I swear I can at least get him, because they're all looking at all these hork-bajir, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're dead. There, <laughs> there is no getting out of here." Um. Meanwhile, Marco is uh looking around. And is like, okay, well, there are three doors. Why isn't there a fourth door? He asks Axe to look behind them, and there is indeed a door that probably leads to the exterior of the ship. Um, but there's a control pad, uh, that is keeping it closed. Um, and it would take a long time in order to decode it. Um, but Marco's like, well, maybe I can break it open. And he then turns and gives this information to Jake. Um, and Axe uh, points out that, you know, the, the Yerks won't fire their dragon beams in here because they don't want to hit the they don't, don't want to risk hitting the canisters. These are very valuable special specimens. Jake reached a very fast decision. Rachel, next word Visser 3 says, you slam the nearest canister. Marco, the keypad. Axe, backup Marco. Tobias, Cassie, and me straight at Visser 3, a faint. Uh, And Visser 3 continues to gloat, and Rachel (laughs) strikes the nearest cylinder. It takes her a few tries to break into it um, because it's just such a strong material. Um, But the plan is going off. Marco's attacking the control panel in order to get it to open to basically do the emergency release um, uh, Jake, Cassie and Tobias go straight at Visser 3 um, and are immediately surrounded by no fewer than 6 hork Um and it is chaos uh, and then Rachel shatters the cylinder and the mist inside billows out um, Hork-Bajir screamed and tried to back away, but too late. The clouds of mist caught them, freezing any body part it touched. Not freezing as in it made them cold. Freezing as in solid, like stone gargoyles. I saw one puzzled Horkbegier gape in horror as his leg simply l- broke off and lay on the deck like a piece of a statue. The mist hit Rachel too, but she had a thick coat of fur. The fur froze and shattered off like thousands of brittle needles. I ripped away the loose metal of the keypad. Squeeze that handle, Axe ordered. I squeezed. Too late, Visser 3 saw his mistake. Bridge, he roared. Bridge, get us up, get us up. The outer hall door began to slide. It opened into empty whiteness. Jake, Cassie, everyone, door open, bail, I yelled. The freezing mist was swirling around the floor now, forcing the Viscer to back up, but that didn't mean he wouldn't send his troops into it. After them, after them. Porkmajir plowed through the mist and found themselves on frozen feet. Feet with toes that broke off, with ankles that snapped. Jake coiled his tiger muscles and took the mist at a leap. Tobias was first out the door. Cassie lay unconscious in a heap, with mist advancing on her. Without hesitation, Rachel walked into the mist and lifted Cassie's wolf body with her teeth. The grizzly's left foot stayed where it had frozen. Rachel staggered to the door on a stump. One by one, we tumbled out of the door and into emptiness.
2: Which is just... Metal as hell. Right. I love Rachel. Uh, but this is their, their first and certainly not last interaction
1: with just fucking freezing cold.
0: It's so yeah, cold.
1: It's a, we're about to see sort of an a inverse temperature version of out of the frying pan into the fire right uh-huh. now.
2: Yep. Because
1: uh, wherever they are, it's fucking cold. They fall about 20 feet. Mm-hmm.
2: um marco is the one on the bottom of the mm-hmm. pile Hmm. they land on ice and, and this is bad
1: uh we get the visual of marco is lying on the ice for long enough that his skin tears away as he pulls himself up
2: Yep.
1: um he's screaming but he sort of sees the state of rachel who's having to demorph Mm-hmm. and he sort of like that cuts him off. Mhm. Because like, okay, it's relative.
2: Mhm. Um Cassie is waking up yep. um and having to demorph herself. Mm-hmm. Um
1: but it but, is it is so cold. It's bad. <laughs> um Marco uh, in Grelomorph is like not acqu- even though he's furry, it's mm-hmm. just not adapted to this kind of um, temperatures like there is steam coming off the blood on his chest mm-hmm. how cold it
2: is I uh, think that it, it's possibly Alaska yeah um, and, and they uh, can see the mi- the base down below
1: yeah it's about a mile off uh, Tobias mm-hmm. can see it um, or he thinks he can see it certainly a collection of buildings
3: mm-hmm
2: um
1: but they they're, they're suffering. Though mm-hmm. so, um, Marco isn't yell, shuffering, yelling about the cold. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, we get a lot of his internal shit about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, Cassie is sort of like dealing with the fact that she's a, in even her wolf morph mm-hmm. is feeling the cold.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Tobias is suffering. Um and can't morph because he's like lo- he's on the verge of losing consciousness i think mhm is the vibe um and rachel just like scoops Tobias against her so to keep him warm enough
2: mm-hmm. to morph mm-hmm. uh so they they begin to run because they know
0: that they need to get out of this place where they just landed um
1: bless ax when asked how he's holding up it's just mm-hmm. like I am slowly freezing to death. I doubt I can maintain brain function for more than a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Axe, you really need to tell us these things. Yeah. Um But they need to get as much distance as they can.
2: Yeah. Um But uh and it's awful. But, uh, yep. Like Marco describes as like the he the
1: ice. Uh, the blood that was on his chest is now ice Mm -hmm. Uh, the tears that are streaming from his eyes from the cold are freezing before he gets as far as his chin but uh, Axe has to bail out as it were Um, so uh, Jake tells Axe and Tobias to morph flee and hide in Rachel's fur
3: Mm -hmm.
0: because neither of them has a good has any kind of cold weather morph Um, and nothing with thick fur um and so Rachel stands over them, holding, holding both of them to her, uh, as they morph. She's not doing very well herself, but she's doing better than they are. Uh, and so they continue to move. They're trying to get just enough distance and some cover that they can figure out what the fuck is going on. Um, so they stagger towards, so where, where they are, they're on like a, a strip of, uh shoreline where to one side they have frozen ocean or water they don't know it's ocean and on the other side they have just like these rocky cliffs um so they run and run along the frozen shoreline um and oh the whole time we're getting marco not only is physically suffering but he's very quickly like his brain is shutting down he's, he, getting, he's getting giddy he's getting loopy um he's getting tired um his
1: and- feet have like swollen to twice mm-hmm. their normal size and everyone else is like talking but it's that thing about going into shock as you get mm-hmm. quiet mhm um, um and he collapses yeah um
0: yeah they they find a like a little cave or at least a little alcove between some rocks um and Yeah. And, and so they're, they're trying to talk about, like, what they're going to do now. Um, and Marco is shutting down. Um, and he collapses. Um, everyone's trying to get him
2: to morph. Uh, but they're, like, they, they, they can't reach him. Um, and
0: then (laughs) Rachel as a bear punches him in the face. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> laugh, but also like we get this really little bit of poetic description uh-huh. of Marco like losing consciousness. Mhm. Um and then just like this crack. And he's mm-hmm. like spitting out teeth. Mhm. Um and he's like ow. <laughs> <laughs> and um it's like what is your problem <laughs> to rachel she's just like i'm trying to save your life you idiot don't know why but i am <laughs> um and jake's just like you need to be mo- demorphed we're losing you go more it's the best one we've got for the climate rachel you too if you think it's
2: best and i like that there's that caveat there for rachel
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but um Rachel's like, oh no, they can stay on me. Um, and Tobias is just, just like, uh,
1: Rachel, you have to pass through human on the way to Wolf. And Tobias like, no, we wouldn't see anything. <laughs> this fleets. moment will pay dividends in a bit.
3: Yeah. Um, uh,
0: but so they, they all morph and they, they change. Everybody basically at this point is demorphing and remorphing, except for Jake, who is remaining a tiger. Um. Uh, but even Cassie demorphs and remorphs, um, because she's feeling, uh, the effects of the cold. Um, but Jake being Jake wouldn't complain till everyone else was safe. Um, and Cassie says that, uh, she thinks that the wolf morph is the best one they have, unless they get out to open water, in which case her whale probably would be fine. Um, but, uh, The wolf bodies are not equipped for the Arctic or Antarctic or wherever we are. We might be able to survive for a few hours at a time, long enough to remorph and regenerate, but we're still vulnerable, too vulnerable to be fighting. And here we get kind of the... I think this might be the first use of them really... Or at least us being shown them really using the regenerative properties of morphing to... Mm -hmm.
3: to
2: maintain themselves in an environment that they would not otherwise be able to maintain right yeah um
1: Uh, unfortunately they do not just have the cold to deal with
3: Mm -hmm.
2: um
1: because once the uh wolf senses kick in um marco picks up on something approaching uh Two eight-feet-tall humanoids, torso, head, and limbs in the usual places, only their heads were shaped kind of like hammerhead sharks, oblong <laughs> with big dark globs on each side that must have been eyes. Each creature had two thick upper arms growing out of broad shoulders. The upper arms split at the elbows to make two forearms. Silver with flashes of blood red and midnight blue along their flanks, along their shoulders, and converging in their faces. And uh, on the description, uh, Act, Jake describes them and Axe is just like, yo, that's a Venpa. <laughs> um we do get the light of reports of their extinction may have been exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just
0: um, Everyone says Axe doesn't have a sense of humor.
3: <laughs> he is so
1: he is consistently so very funny. <laughs> um but they realize that the uh they're gonna have like some form of echolocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, as they're making these strange uh, crunching sounds that mm-hmm. ricochet around them. Um, <laughs> we have this moment of them like, kind of, like, okay, so we should get into the rocks so then they won't be able to echo locate. And I like, they shouldn't be able to now. Um, this is a very sophisticated sense to pick us out of the garden. Very impressive. Swell, you can ask one out on the date, actually You like them so much. Do you have anything useful to tell us? and it's just i just love this interaction just like i'm sorry your boyfriend is expressing interest in anything else <laughs> um but yeah marco uh ax is just like well uh they're gonna have difficulty dealing with temperatures above freezing liquid water for example mm-hmm. and he's just like oh okay we'll offer them a vacation to florida
3: mm-hmm.
1: and rachel's just like marco why didn't i just let you freeze yeah um but, and they realize that they're raising some, the Vemba are raising something tube shaped, pointing them away, and Axe's like, we should duck. <laughs> uh, because these Vemba are equipped um, with what Axe is able to identify as Draken assault cannons, normally used for attacking hardened ground facilities from orbit. <laughs> so, you know, you know, he'll no pick guns- Gun-to-a-knife-fight vibes. <laughs> um, uh, the so Vember, they run.
0: They run. They're all wolves at this point. Jake uh, has conceded to Cassie's point that the wolves are probably the best they got. So they're all wolves and they all run. Uh, not uh, even a moment too soon because the Venber fire these dragon cannons and just f- like the, the rocks around them are described as turning into gravel. Um, mm-hmm. And the good thing is that the wolves are faster and they have endurance on their side. Um but the venber also don't stop pursuing them. So they have to like they run for a bit, they realize that they're still following them, they run a bit farther. Um uh Axe mentions that it doesn't make any sense that the Yürks would could be using the venber, they can't infest them, so they must be controlled by some other means. Um they keep running. Um, Rachel's like, point is, we're out front. We don't, I don't even see them. Maybe they've given up. Uh, and Tobias is like, no way they gave up. We have to keep moving. And Marco makes the crack. Says, so says the flea, all nice and warm in his honey's back fur. What did you say, Rachel <laughs> demanded? I guess she was shocked that I dared to make any remarks suggesting she and Tobias were more than just friends and anamorphs. Like that was some big secret. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so good um, but bless um they get to somewhere um we get another emphasis of your minutes from axe when asked mm-hmm. how long they have
3: mm-hmm.
1: but they're able to find like an alcove uh, out of the wind at least and they yep. uh take turns like letting uh, providing as much shelter with their bodies for each other to do more yeah. Because uh, they all have frostbite golf. at this point again, after
0: what mm-hmm. thirty, forty-five minutes. Um mm-hmm. uh, so they're demorphing and remorphing. Um and I love this I love this description. Uh we huddled so around good. Cassie, trying to keep her warm as she demorphed first. Then we took turns demorphing and remorphing, huddling together like a litter of newborn puppies. Weird. A bunch of wolves pressing flank to flank. It was a strange and kind of wonderful experience. It brought back memories I didn't know I had, from when I was very little, sitting on the couch with my mom, snuggled up against her, watching TV and sucking my thumb. Corny. Probably the cold was getting to me. Or maybe it's just that in the cold, in an environment that's ready to kill you without thought or mercy, simple animal warmth, body to body, breath and breath, seems to touch something deep inside of you. Millions of years of homo sapiens huddled together, body
2: and body against the killing wind. Good shit. It's good shit. See, yeah, it's stuff like that that make us really angry
1: when K.A. fall on, like, lazy riding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like there is something wonderful about, like, that, like like as Marco describes it, that primal instinct to seek out warmth. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, to loop it back to fanfic. We all know that unconsciously moving towards <clears throat> warmth in your sleep.
0: <laughs> they it's were upset. huddling for
1: warmth uh-huh it's just like we fell asleep on opposite sides of the bed but when we woke up so-and-so was pressed back to me, like they had unconsciously moved it's <laughs> just like ah <laughs> uh, yes good food yeah. Um, but that it's just this something also I suppose it's like a shorthand for going just like oh hey this is part of why humans uh evolved the way they did to survive like it's that whole thing that like i forget which scientist talked about it but um about humanity Mm -hmm. and how one of the earliest signs of humanity is like finding skeletal remains of people that if they had been alone they would have died sooner but like all skeletons of older people with like like very damaged limbs or whatever Mm -hmm. that sign that we look after each other,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I suppose that's—I don't want to say that's just a, a, a mammal thing, but like, there's a reason why humans domesticated dogs or domesticated wolves is mm-hmm. that like it's one of those instincts. There's enough overlap there, and it's—it's mm-hmm. it's the kind of good shit that makes me very emotional. Yes, like it's similar sort of thing to like when my cat like gets closer to me when he's half asleep. Mm -hmm. or will like fall asleep right next to me because Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I'm a safe thing Mm -hmm. and it just like there's something about it that's just I like things that bypass the logic processes of our brain
3: Mm -hmm. and
1: that's part of why I like musicals but that's another topic for another (laughs) day but no, as like especially like as an autistic person who can struggle to struggle to articulate emotions, mm-hmm. like just like warm, good, be near, friend, it's
3: mm-hmm. like
1: yes, yes, <laughs> but like but also like just like seeing the kids being there for each other, and the fact that Marco is having that kind of revelation about, it. and he can joke about being loopy
2: with cold all he wants but we saw what his brain did when he was loopy with cold this ain't <laughs> it yep yep um but they have a little rest in that remorphing moment uh tobias
1: and axe have moved to jake um just like i guess my undiplomatic remark about tobias and rachel had made them self-conscious <laughs> <laughs> Just like, you're not supposed to draw attention to it, Marco. We all know. <laughs> you don't have to say it. Yeah. Don't draw attention to it. Um, but they've all remorphed and just like, Jake's like, we've got to keep moving. Um, but we also need somewhere to hide for the night. No way we'll survive this cold without shelter. And that's the thing that bugs me because I'm fairly certain it doesn't necessarily get colder at night. Depends where you are and what the rest of the weather is doing.
3: Because mm-hmm.
1: if there's cloud cover, it might be warmer. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's really not the point.
2: Um because But they're like, okay, so we need to find somewhere to yep. uh to take to shore up for the night. Yeah. We uh, end up
1: um like digging a little I oh, wait no, there's before that first. Yeah, there's just there's yeah. some more running. Um and, and running. running. And, then, and more running. And then and then the uh they get to encounter a polar bear. Yeah. Um, they spot it like a little bit in the distance. Like they spot the nose first. Mm-hmm. Um. But hey, it's a polar bear, so Cass is like, hey, that means we're in the Arctic and not Antarctica. And Axe is just like, <laughs> I did tell you our direction was north. He's been reading his world almanac. He knows which is which. <laughs> um and they're all there just like holy shit, that's a polar bear. <laughs> Which
0: and is great, starts, I
1: love this. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then the polar bear starts moving towards them, uh, no, and I they're like, you, you know what? I don't, I don't really want to tangle with a polar bear. <laughs> uh,
1: I do like that Cassie, uh, when asked by Axe, or, uh, when Axe asks what's a polar bear, uh, she describes him as the largest land predator in the world, and Rachel's like, hey! She <laughs> doesn't <laughs> say that, but it's like, what do you mean the largest predator? Um, I thought grizzly bears were the largest, and Cassie's just, like, very patiently, like, grizzlies aren't true predators, let's face it, you'll eat berries, given the chance. I like that it's, you'll eat berries. <laughs> yeah. Um, and explains about a little bit about, uh, because polar bears can be heavier because of blubber and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and rape just like, I could take him. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just, as, as this is the conversation they're having as they're running. Mm-hmm. Um... But Cassie's like, if there are predators around, that means there's prey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that the kids like running as wolves and this polar bear just lumbering after them, described yep. as in a casual way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake asks what polar bears eat. We got a sick title drop of our other podcast. You mm-hmm. <laughs> um, made me happy. Dumb kids playing hero. Um, yeah. And Cassie's like, you know, they eat seals mostly. Um mm-hmm and they just like of course you don't see any they're hiding from the polar bear <laughs> um but they're, again they're just like spitballing at this point just like yeah. ideas for food if they could fish no that won't really work um <laughs> marco you know, so like, i guess we
0: just go ahead and starve why not everything else is going so well
1: things were looking pretty hopeless polar bears to the right of us November behind us and cold all around and now it was almost completely dark um, but they, I think they dig a little, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, a little snow lair.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yep. Marco attempts to crack jokes. It does not, it is not well received. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I say that, it's just like not reacted to. Uh-huh. So, um, uh,
0: They, so they all huddle in this snow drift. I'm just here thinking about Call of the Wild. Um. Mm -hmm. and they they huddle together um they demorph remorph um we shivered in our human bodies for just long enough to turn blue i'll accept axe who was already blue
1: um (laughs) Um, they take turns with somebody effectively keeping watch or mm -hmm. keeping guard which is like just sticking their nose out every Mm -hmm. couple of minutes to catch a scent
3: Mm
1: -hmm. um but uh while they're like resting for the night um Marco asks Axe, who turns out isn't sleeping, about what the deal is with the Vember, Mm -hmm. and we get so we get this cool lore. I say cool; it's a it's interesting as hell lore, and just like one more horrible thing in the history of the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, how all Andalites are taught about um, the Vember. Um, but there are. all he knows, they were primitive species, highly unusual physiology, um, unique in that they don't require any kind of radiation energy, um, but they're not carbon. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they, they don't need sunlight. Yeah. Um, but they were discovered towards the, uh, the dawn of Andalite space travel by another race called the Five.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, no one knows what the Five, uh, were, just that they called themselves that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but once the five discovered the Venber, um, and here is some fucking fridge, not even fridge horror. This is just some horror. Mm-hmm. Um, they harvested the Venber, um, because the Venber, uh, become liquid at any temperature above freezing. Um, and the resulting liquid has many uses, particularly in the creation of superconductors for the primitive computers of that era. And Cassie is horrified because she has, like, those are sentient creatures, aren't they? And Actor's is like, yes, they were. The five extinguished them, they annihilated a sentient species to speed their computers. And the Venba disappeared.